Welcome to Excess Returns, where we focus on what works over the long term in the markets. Join us as we talk about the strategies and tactics that can help you become a better long-term investor. Justin Carboneau and Jack Forehand are principals at Bolivia Capital Management. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Bolivia Capital. No information on this podcast should be construed as investment advice. Securities discussed in the podcast may be holdings of clients of Validia Capital. Hi guys, this is Justin. In this episode of Excess Returns, Jack and I break down multi-factor investing by first discussing the concept of investment factors, and then we dissect the different ways multi-factor portfolios can be constructed. We conclude with what we think is possibly the most important thing for investors to consider when deploying capital in a multi-factor portfolio. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoy the discussion. All right, today we're going to talk about the concept of multi-factor investing. Um, you wrote an article on it, and we'll sort of get into the details there. But before we do that, let's just, I think, define some of the terms and things that, you know, that we want to discuss when talking about factor-based investing. Um, so when talking about factors, what we're really talking about is selecting stocks that have certain fundamental or price-related characteristics that over long periods of time have been able to show and produce returns in excess of the market. Now, when we're talking about the market in this case, we're really talking about things like the S&P 500, which tend to be market cap weighted in indices that, you know, weight the largest stocks the most. Um, Larry Swedrow, director of research uh, for Buckingham Strategic Wealth, who's probably one of the most knowledgeable guys on factor investing and really a thought leader in the space, he wrote a book um, titled Your Complete Guide to Factor Investing. And what he did in there is he outlined the characteristics um, that he believed, and I think that make a lot of sense, for something to become a factor. So the first thing he looks for is persistence. So does the factor hold across long periods of time and in different economic regimes? The next thing he wanted to see was pervasiveness, which is, that means basically does it hold across countries, regions, sectors, and even asset classes? He looked for robustness, which basically, in this case, it's you know there's very def there's various definitions um, whether the value premium is measured by price to book, earnings, or price to cash flow. So, is the factor robust over different types of metrics? Um, next, he wanted to see if the factor or if these factors were investable. So, it's not just like on paper. Um, can they actually be implemented in the real world with actual portfolios? And then lastly, is the factor intuitive? Does it make sense? Is it logical? Is it based on something that sort of is uh, sound um, economic theory? And so that's at a high level, that's an overview of what a factor is. I thought it was important just to discuss that. And Jack, what I wanted you maybe to try to talk about is, you know, what are some of the more popular factors out there that are used in investing today? And then we'll talk about the concept of multi-factor investing and, and the pluses and minuses of that. Yeah, when you look at factors, I think if, if you look at those definitions you put out, I think there's two factors that rise above all the other ones. And, and those two factors, at least if you look through all of history, are value and momentum. And they have all of those characteristics you listed. And, you know, value obviously is just buying something that's cheap relative to some metric, whether that's cash flow or earnings or whatever. And momentum is that stocks that, are, that have gone up in the intermediate term tend to continue going up. For a period of time and so both of those have worked really well over time and i think you know there's pretty good consensus that if if you were going to look at two factors that are above all the other ones it's value and momentum and then you have some other factors that have also worked over long periods of time you have quality you know buying high quality 
companies, whether that's in there's in quality is probably the toughest one to define because there's so many different ways people define it. But, you know, companies that have high return on capital or companies that have consistency in their earnings or, you know, some people will say companies that have low debt. I mean, there's a there's a lot of different ways to define quality, but quality has a lot of evidence to support it over a period of time, too. And then the fourth is low volatility, which is that stocks are that are less volatile than their counterparts actually tend to produce at the very least, better risk-adjusted returns, and at the most, actual excess returns. So in, in a lot of cases, you get a better return with less risk by investing in low-volatility stocks. So I think there's, there's, you know, there's been art, articles that have identified 300 or 3,000 or a million factors, but there really are four that rise above the rest, and I think those are the four of them. Okay. One of the characteristics of all factors, though, so they show this long-term outperformance over the market, but they can go through periods and lengthy periods of underperformance, like take the value factor today. I mean, basically value has underperformed the market for the last 10 years. So this kind of gets into the concept that you were hitting on in the article with multi-factor investing is multi-factor investing can help um, diversify out some of that factor underperformance when you go through it. Yeah, exactly. You know, no matter what factor you're following, you're going to have lengthy periods where you struggle. And, you know, value actually can be, have those the longest periods of any other factor um, you know so for instance value over 10 years is out underperformed 14 percent of the time which is a lot when you i mean you think it's it's not that often but it actually is a lot you know that means if you go through an investing career investing in value you're gonna have some significant periods where you have a period as long as 10 years that you struggle and that uh probably rings true to a lot of value investors today because we're going through one of them so the advantage of multi-factor investing is if if all these factors are going to struggle individually by combining them together since they work in different types of market environments, by combining them together, I can smooth out my returns over time. And that can help to limit that problem of 10-year underperformance. And we'll put this in the show notes, but in the article I wrote, we we looked at some of the blends that Larry Swedrow had developed. And of the blends between the factors, he did three different ones. All of them essentially outperformed all of the time over 10 years. Now, when you get into shorter time periods, they struggled as well. And you know, this is not a panacea. This is not something that prevents underperformance in all cases. But definitely when you have things like value and momentum that both work but tend to be uncorrelated, when you bring them together, you can get much smoother returns in your portfolio. And, and so that's the goal of multi-factor investing is to try to produce a smoother ride over time because we all know factor investing can be very difficult and following these factors during periods of underperformance can be really hard. Yeah. One of the things uh, that you pointed out was this: uh, the number of multi-factor ETFs and strategies have gone from something like 40 when these first started to come out to now maybe there's like close to 400 different types of ETFs that incorporate multi-factor um, investing strategies. But, you know, if there's that many, we know that they're all doing a lot of things differently. So in your article, you talked about the different types of ways that these portfolios can be constructed. You can have the sleeve method and you can have the consensus method. And there's probably other methods, but those were the ones that you talked about in your piece. So what are the differences between those two types of multi-factor approaches. Yeah, so using a simple example, let's say I want to build a portfolio and I just want to use value and momentum. So now my question is, how do I construct that? And, and there really are two commonly accepted ways to do it. One, the sleeve method is essentially, I buy, if, if let's say I have a 20 stock portfolio I want to build. I buy 10 really cheap, hardcore value stocks, and then I buy 10 high momentum stocks, and I blend them together. And so now I've got a portfolio that's half value and half momentum. And the value stocks have a lot of value and the momentum stocks have a lot of momentum. 
So that's one way of doing it. The other way of doing it is more of a consensus method, which is to say, I want stocks that have attributes of both of those. So I want stocks that have some value, but I also want stocks that have some momentum. In my previous example, those value stocks potentially have very low momentum, and those momentum stocks potentially have very low exposure to value. Using the, the combined method of combining them all together, now I can get something where my value stocks may not be as cheap as they were, and my momentum stocks may not have as much momentum, but they both have aspects of both. And so those are the two ways to do it. And, you know, it's not really commonly accepted, which is the best way. If you look at the best quant firms out there, you'll see some that do it one way and some that do it the other. You know, we tend to do it both ways, but it's, they're very different ways and they can lead to very different outcomes. Yeah. In the uh, article, there was the example of, and I think it was um, uh, the Wisdom Tree um, chief strategist you interviewed. Is it Lee? Lee Chen Ren. Lee Chen Ren, yeah, thank you. Yes. Um, you know, she gave the example of, you know, if you had a basketball team, would you want just, you know, all great three-point shooters or the people that are good at dribbling, or would you want a well-rounded team? I mean, Wisdom Tree tends to do the more consensus-based approach, I think, with their multi-factor strategies. But, but like you said, and then Jack Vogel, you know, from Alpha Architect, I mean, he sort of made the argument that they do the more sleeve-based approach, which they want the purest you know, exposure to momentum or value, and they want to be basically buying those stocks in sort of a multi-factor type of strategy. So you're right, there's different ways to approach it. Um, and I think there's pluses and minuses um, on both sides, probably. Um, you know, I always like to look at it when, when you have an argument like this in investing, and you have some of the best firms out there, AQR, Alpha Architect, Research Affiliates, when you have different firms in different camps out of that group of the best firms, then you sort of start with the assumption that there's no right answer. And so the, I don't think there's a right answer in terms of the way to do this. And I think there's strong academic evidence both ways. It's, it really becomes what you're comfortable with. You know, for me personally, I tend to be comfortable with the sleeve approach because I like to see my value stocks be really cheap. And I like to see my momentum stocks have a lot of momentum. But the downside of that is there is somewhat of a canceling effect, meaning that my momentum stocks are probably very expensive. And so do they cancel some of my exposure to the value factor in my value stocks and vice versa? So that's an argument for more of a blended method. So there's really both, you know, both methods have a lot of data to support them and both methods can work really well. The other thing that uh, you mentioned in your article is from a, just a portfolio construction standpoint, there can be a lot of differences when you look at these multi-factor strategies, you know, the number of holdings, the sector constraints, the position weights, you know, whether they're maybe taking an index and trying to fundamentally weight based on factors based on that. So all of those you know, portfolio construction decisions will, you know, play a very big part in how these multi-factor strategies work, right? Yeah, and you know, it's it can sometimes be a false assumption to make that when I'm getting a multi-factor strategy or when I buy, you know, this firm strategy versus this firm strategy, I'm going to get a very similar experience. And the truth is you can get a really different experience. Like you talked about number of stocks. A really focused multi-factor portfolio is going to look very different than a multi-factor portfolio that slightly reweights the S&P 500. And, and as you said, there's different portfolio weighting techniques. You know, some people will equal weight them. Other firms will market cap weight them, which makes them look more like the indexes. And then there's also things going on behind the scenes. Like, for instance, the whole issue of factor timing, which could be its own podcast. But, you know, do I, when I'm going through a period like we are right now, where value is historically cheap, do I put more value in my multi-factor approach? Or do I accept the fact that I can't time factors and I keep those exposures the same? So there's many things going on here, and they can lead to really different outcomes. So if you're going to buy a multi-factor portfolio, it's really important to dig underneath and to try to figure out what actually is going on. Yeah. Um, let's just talk about, like, go, let's go one step deeper now. Let's go, let's take the value factor 
and let's just can you talk to just a few of what I guess we would consider like sub factors or sub criteria that go into how um, that value factor is constructed. Like I know like one of the things that we recently developed was, you know, the ability to look at look at stocks and look at their uh, value factor exposure, but at a, at a sub factor level. Um, so do you want to maybe just talk to that a little bit as to what one would look at? And we don't have to focus on value. If you want to do quality or, or low volatility, like how those things are expressed in terms of concrete criteria. Well, that is another aspect of this. It's not just which factors are, are coming into your multi-factor portfolio, but when you dig deeper, it's how am I implementing those factors? And so, for instance, price to book has been, you know, widely maligned recently and, and for good reason. So looking behind the scenes and saying, all right, if somebody's using value in their multi-factor portfolio, how are they expressing value? You know, it, it, it's there's been a chart that's gone around Twitter that's shown that although price to book is probably considered the least effective value metric, it is by far the most widely used. And so the odds are, you know, if you're looking at a someone who's building a multi-factor portfolio, the odds are the value component is expressed either exclusively as price to book or in large part using price to book. Whereas some of the factors that might do better over long periods of time, price to cash flow, EV to EBITDA, those are much less widely used. So your point is a good one, which is it's not just which factors are they using, it's how are they actually using those factors? You know, what metrics are leading to the construction of that value portion of the portfolio? That can be really important as well. Yeah, and probably that's a good way to maybe bookend this, which is, you know, when you as an investor are trying to analyze or look at these multi-factor portfolios, it's important really to understand what you're getting because the more that you can understand what goes into it, the better you're going to be able to deal and hold on to that strategy or that fund or that ETF, you know, during the inevitable periods of time when these things underperform. And, you know, these multi-factor strategies, they're not perfect. They're going to go through periods of underperformance. They all will. That's true of any investment strategy out there. Um, so I think like understanding what you're getting is a very, and educating yourself is a very important aspect to investing in general, but particularly this, this factor type of investing, multi-factor investing that we're talking about. Um, do you, do you have anything to sort of add? Yeah, to that? you know, you, you, you make a really good point and probably with any investment strategy, as you said, the most important thing for an investor is not, you know, which metric are they using or how are they blending them? The most important thing is, do you believe in what they're doing? And so, you know, when people ask a lot of times, well, should I be invested in value or should I be invested in momentum or should I use multi-factor? A lot of it comes down to what do you believe in? Because when it's tested, as we're seeing with value right now, your ability to stay with it, your ability to not abandon it when things look really ugly is going to determine your success. And that plays a role with multi-factor too. So if, if you're somebody who has the knowledge to dig into the details behind these multi-factor strategies, a big part of which one you select is going to be which one do I believe, you know, is using the approach that best fits for me. Um, and, and that can have to, to do with how concentrated it is. You know, can I ride out the rough periods? You know, how much exposure does it have to something like value? Or maybe I'm a bigger believer in value. There's a lot of things going on there, but that is probably the biggest determinant of which multi-factor portfolio works for any individual investor. Great. That's a great way to ended, I think. Well, thank you uh, for listening to this discussion on multi-factor investing. We hope you found it uh, valuable and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Hi guys, this is Justin again. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode of Excess Returns. You can follow Jack on Twitter at, at practicalquant. 
follow me on Twitter at, at JJ Carboneau. If you found this discussion interesting and valuable, please subscribe in either iTunes or on YouTube or leave a review or a comment. We appreciate it.